And we're live. Welcome to Don't Be Coy. I'm your host, Uncle Lou. And today I have the honor, pleasure, and the utmost appreciation to have with me today, Mr. Kendall Laster. Kendall, thank you for being on the show, sure. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great, man. What about yourself? Man, I'm doing great and blessed as well. How was your week? Man, craziness. Um, dealing with my students. <laughs> <laughs> they have put enough gray hair in my head. That could last forever. <laughs> <laughs> I I totally understand that, man. I think um, I, I'm gonna want to talk about that a little bit more. So, just for the folks at home, do you mind telling a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, again, my name is Kendall Laster. I am from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Um, I've been in higher ed for the last three years and my position um, as an academic success coach, pretty much advise students and deal deal with them holistically, um, ensuring that they are okay mentally, physically, academically. Um, I'm currently, I think it's almost four months I've been married. (laughs) Four months of marriage so far um, to my wife, Janae. and yeah, that's pretty much that summing up who I am in that moment. Oh, if y'all have any birthday money for me um, in the near future, um, I'm, an, I'm a Scorpio, born in November, so <laughs> pretty much sums who I am. No, I, I totally, I totally appreciate that, man. Uh, I think it's a little bit late for the birthday money, though. <laughs> Hey, it can keep going. It can keep going. You, you'd be surprised. I'm still getting money from my whip. Yeah, no. I, hey, that sounds good, man. I bet that can't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that can't hurt at all. So let's talk a little bit about the you working in higher education and your work as a student success coach. I, mm-hmm. I see that as a little bit as kind of you being a, a master of transitions because um, in that student success coach role, are you primarily working with freshman students or what What does that role look like for you? It's crazy because when I initially took on the position um, at the university that I'm currently at, I thought that I would strictly be working with freshman students. And once I started, um, they told me that I would be their academic success coach from their freshman to their senior year. And what happens is um, they bring in a new cohort every year, of course. And I serve as a sophomore academic success coach and a freshman. And as they go up, I will be their freshman um, or sophomore, junior or senior coach. Mm. And what's interesting is um, a lot of times you have different issues. Entering into the freshman year, you have students who are unfamiliar with what classes they're taking. So I have to show them um, their four-year plan. And we discuss that. Also discussing what majors to switch into if you feel as though the current major that you're in um, won't be as successful. So I deal with that. 
sophomore year, I'm dealing with the sophomore year blues. This mm-hmm. is the time where the sophomores feel as though they can't stay in school. They're trying to figure things out. Or at that time, they're probably looking at their grades and they're just like, okay, how am I going to graduate with these grades that I have? Mm-hmm. Um, and then junior year, dealing with the anxiety of what's to come, having to look for internships, trying to make sure that they are meeting with their advisors, their academic advisors on a regular basis. Also making sure that they are sustaining enough information in their classes to prepare them for graduation. And of course, their senior year, preparing for everything, but at the same time, what's to come? Um, what job opportunities do I have for the near future? And it's, it's just a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I was going to ask you as far as like a caseload, like, um, do you have like a cap of the number of students that you receive each year so that you can manage having um, seniors, juniors, sophomores and freshmen? Or is it just like a an ongoing like you don't know how many students you're going to get? Actually, um, for each year, um, our donor and the vice president of enrollment, they try to have at least 50 students come into our program each year. Okay. But there's a shift now um, academically because you have students now, of course, it's been going on for a long time, but when it comes down to tests like SATs or ACTs, those tests are not as, um, they're pretty much lacking Mm. in terms of scoring. Um, Composite scores are not as high as they normally would be. So now, nationally, they're trying to figure out how how they're going to deal with switching that up. Now they're more focused on GPAs. Mm. So we're having to battle that. Yeah. Um, right now, um, in order to get in our program, you have to have a 3.0. And you have to have a 20 on your composite score. But now they're thinking about switching it to... Eighteen with a two point seven as the GPA to get in. What what kind of impact do you think that that's going to do? Um, I ask that because um, I think that you've had the pleasure of working at different academic institutions, and um, mm-hmm. you know I know that some academic institutions they don't put too much weight on the. Um, the ACT or the SAT and, you know, for example, um, one of the institutions that I used to work at, um, you just had to take the ACT and um, they took essentially whatever GPA and they fit you into whatever classes you needed to be. But um, that did have an impact on the on the culture of the school. Do you see see that having that kind of impact towards the program? Um, it's interesting that you say that because there is an issue right now um, <laughs> with academic affairs when it comes down to developmental courses or mm-hmm. they're considered remedial. Um, now they're attempting to take that away from the institution. Oh, wow. Um, when I arrived at the current institution that I'm working at, 
they didn't even have um, developmental courses. The students would have to be dual enrolled at a community college mm-hmm. in order to gain the credit that they would need in order to take a math or an English. And that's pretty much everywhere. Or they would have the remedial courses at the institution itself. Mm-hmm. But now they're taking that away. And um, I think the purpose of it is to get the students in the game immediately yeah. so they can get the credits that they need versus the developmental courses. Because you don't really get the core credits that you need in those courses. Right. So it takes away and the time. It takes away time. And it takes away um, their ability to learn at the pace that others are learning. Mm-hmm. But this is a factor to think about as well. What are they learning currently at the high schools that they're at? Yeah. And that becomes a problem because once they get into college, um, they might not necessarily know everything that they need in order to sustain in their classroom. Mm. So... How do you measure something like that? How can one, as a student success coach, how can you measure success when you're met, when you're looking at a student, you know, they're not coming in vanilla. They're coming essentially just like Neapolitan ice cream. They have all these different flavors that essentially they're bringing into whether it was their high school, wherever, you know, part of the country or whatever their home life may have looked like. And they're going into this academic institution that essentially says, you know, when you get here, you got to hit the ground running where for some people going into college is that first taste of independence, that first taste of um, accountability um, and even that first case of being an advocate for themselves. You know what I'm saying? Because um, high school or even yeah, high school is one of those places where you kind of know what you have to do, right? Like there's a bell schedule right. or a class schedule. You know you have to be these things. You can make the de- decision if you want to go or not, but you're essentially like by law supposed to be there. Uh, but college is yeah. a wholly, totally different thing. So like how how can you set the baseline and measure one success if you have to think about all those different kind of variables? Okay, with our program that we have, um, the students are obligated, it's required for them to have six hours of study hall um, at the center that we have. Um, They are also required to have, um, we have to have different resources available for them. Um, One thing that I have to do in my meetings with them that I have on a regular, I I have weekly meetings with each student. And it's a 30-minute meeting, and we discuss their academics, like I said, down to mental, um, down to physical. And one of the things that I mentioned to them, if they're struggling academically, um, they are required to go to uh, tutorial. Um, There's a learning center that they have peer tutors tutor the students on subjects such as biology, math, and English. Um, but again, the problem comes in when the student is not ready to receive their help, mm. right? So if the student is battling with that, okay, you have to allow them to be the student in this moment and an adult. Yeah. Um, normally 
I am big on advocating for a student, making sure that they're doing what they're having, what they're having to do in the classroom. But um, if they're not willing to receive that help in that moment, I have to dive in with time. And when I say that, I have to make sure that I'm allowing them to make their own mistakes in that moment. Not too far-fetched as far as, like, if you have a student who has a 3.0 and still battling, you know, social issues, you you have to allow them their time. Because if you're forcing it, they're going to feel as though they have to reject it or rebel against it. And when I say I have a couple students who I've encountered with the same issue where they come into my office and like, oh, Mr. Kendall, I'm struggling with this three, not a three, but a an F in this course. What am I supposed to do? I'm like, hey, are you communicating with your professors like you're supposed to? Okay. They, they might tell me yes. And in that, I have to figure out another question. Okay. How are you communicating with your professor? What are you asking them? Oh, I'm asking them, um, how am I supposed to solve this problem? How long are you communicating with that professor? They might tell me for two minutes after class. That's not enough time to communicate with your professor. You need to be going to your professor's office hours, which would range for like a 30 minute to an hour session. But even with that, sometimes the professors don't have enough time to communicate with the students. Mm-hmm. So that becomes another issue. So I have to have the student, like I said, go to tutoring. And sometimes tutoring might not help because they might feel that the person is not giving them adequate information. Then I also have students who feel like they need to receive the actual answer. They want the answers. And I'm just like, no, you need to practice over and over again or go to tutoring over and over again. Because I have a student tell me, hey, I only went to tutoring once and I didn't like it. I'm like, what, what is that supposed to do? Yeah. Okay, you need to go more than that. Then I have the issue with the students who have mental health issues. When I tell you that is, is crazy, uh, because you're not only dealing with as trauma that they're having to uncover, but the current trauma. Um of being at an institution where they feel as they're, they're not, as though they're not wanted. Um, I have students that just, just they, they're in there stagnant because they don't know what to do. And even with going to counseling, and I'm an advocate for that because I go myself. So I'm asking them, how is counseling sessions though, going? And they'll sit there and they'll say, um, the counselor didn't understand me. Um, it seemed as though they were just talking at me. And I'm just like, okay, how did you create the boundaries in that meeting? And they're just like, what do you mean? Okay, when you go into a counseling session, you're telling them what you're, what you're struggling with and what you are needing in that moment. So at the boundary, you need to let them know, hey, I'm coming here for a meeting where I can communicate with you about my problem. Um, Not just to sit there and ask of them to weed out your problems when you're not as receptive. Yeah. It's it's, it's a lot of layers, bro. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can definitely definitely tell that, man. And I think that 
as an individual, I think that you're someone who's uniquely placed. Um, you're uniquely placed in a position where you have the tools to be able to provide those answers. Cause it sounds like to me that essentially you're as a student success coach, your role is to help students be successful by providing them with those foundational skills of understanding, um, advocating for yourself, understanding, setting your boundaries, understanding, um, taking the initiative and meeting with your professor and learning how to navigate the different challenges that may come about. And I think that what makes this is really interesting. And I kind of want to hear a little bit about your own personal journey because you have a a unique journey around how you got to that place, whether it is your experience in you know, attending community colleges four years, getting your master's, now getting your doctorate, you have that full scope of what one would call that post-primary education experience. Um, and then mm-hmm. also working in having that working in the behavioral health and mental health areas and understanding around how those may play a role and understanding some of those few nuances that may show up in day-to-day life. I'm curious around how you've taken taken those lessons that you've learned and how you apply that in your day-to-day work now. It's crazy. Um, I have students sometimes and they'll ask me, okay, well, better, better off, you have students who don't believe that you've gone through anything. Mm. So one of the things that I I stress to them, I'm just like, listen, I have been a student who was, you know, strictly academic. I have been a student who was strictly social. <laughs> and they often look at me like, oh, what does that mean? Okay, I've been that student who had 3.0 and above. Um, and I was that student who didn't attend class like he was supposed to. I was that student that didn't communicate with the professors like he was supposed to. My journey into school was an interesting one. It was funny because I started out at a a community college. Um, My senior year of high school, I wanted so badly to go to Mississippi State. Um, My plans were to go into engineering, civil engineering to be exact, and, you know, work my way up into it. And I didn't get scholarships immediately. Um, as a matter of fact, my scholarship into the junior college that I went to, it came because I had to take the initiative to do it. Um, I used to be in band. I played baritone. And my senior year of high school, I got out of marching band because... I was having a little issue with the band director. And I think towards the end of the school year, like I said, they have any scholarships. So I started to communicate with one of the assistant band directors. And I asked him, I said, you know, does Pearl River, can I, can I say the college yeah, that I went to? Yeah, you can say whatever you want to, man. Okay. Okay. So the, the, college that I was looking forward to going to was uh, Pearl River Community College because I knew that they had 
a band scholarship that paid for tuition. And so they didn't have plans on going to my high school that year because they would always have low numbers. Mm -hmm. So that particular year, I had reached out to the assistant director and I told him, I said, hey, I'm interested in your band. And I was thinking if you were coming up to our high school. And so he said, I'll be delighted. He came, he met with us. And by the way, like my friend group at that time, no interest in going to Pearl River at that time. The people that I was close to, they were either going to USM or Mississippi State. And so I in for that meeting and they found out that they were going to pay for full tuition and we were immediately sold. Mm -hmm. um, didn't even think about housing, didn't think about nothing else. We were just sold on the fact that we were going to get uh, tuition. Yeah. Um, I want to say I started applying for different scholarships and Coca-Cola had a scholarship provided um, through the city for any student that wanted to go to Pearl River, they would get full tuition to go. And, okay, I ended up getting that. And I got another scholarship and I got a church scholarship. And it totaled out to where I was able to go to school for free. Once I got to Pearl River, I want to say I was 17 hours. Um, I had 17 hours of credit. Mm. And I struggled because I was taking chemistry and, and I want to say calculus. I just was no at all. And I'm going home, calling home complaining about my living conditions because I was <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Why am I living like this? Yeah. And so that combined with academics, I started to fail. Um, I received my first F ever. Was I making F's or D's or nothing like that? I wasn't making C's either. I was just making decent grades. And once I got there, it was just like my first F was like, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And so that feeling of um, not being smart enough played into my decision to change my major the following semester. And once I changed my major, I had an academic counselor. But me meeting with my students on a weekly basis, I see the difference. Okay, I have a rapport with my students because they come and see me, right? Yeah. Whereas I didn't have a rapport with my counselor because I only saw her whenever I was going to drop a class or whenever I was about to change my major. Mm -hmm. So over the two years span that I was there, I only met with her about four times. And in those four times that I met with her, it wasn't a pleasant meeting. Mm -hmm. Um... She told me that I wasn't going to graduate on time. She told me a bunch of other stuff. It was just crazy. I'm like, you're not really helping me. You're just telling me what I'm not going to be able to do. Mm. Like, how can we navigate around that? How can we how can we get to the yes, you can versus no, you can't. And so I started grinding a little bit harder started getting more involved on campus I think I became a navigator for the campus which is like a tour guide and I became an RA 
um, I started helping out a little bit on campus and I was just like feeling a whole lot better because I felt like I was accomplishing something. My switch over into going to USL, I graduated um, from Pearl River May of 2013, got to USM in August of 13. And it was as though I had never walked on campus before. <laughs> um, I just was green to the idea of help. I didn't know how to receive it. And then I felt as though my pride was too strong to ask. Like, what the hell I look like asking for somebody to help me with something I should already know? So that was when I started to realize I was my own downfall. Started to communicate a little bit better with my professors, um, eventually developing a, a good rapport with them. But still, in the midst of this, I'm not as academically strong like I should be. And I didn't have anybody that I could really go to. Um, so I eventually got involved with NAACP on campus. I started... Um, as a member of ASO and other little organizations like that. And I, I kind of, you know, developed some sense about self. Um, I loved helping students. And my advisor for those organizations, organizations, her name was Valencia, um, Lord, what is her name? Valencia Walls. Valencia Walls was best advisor that a student could have. She was the advisor for MPHC and all of the multicultural organizations. Mm. And when I say I met with her weekly, I would go to her office at any given time and vent to her and talk to her about all of what was going on. And she gave me some good tips for life. And I was definitely appreciative of it. But it, those those conversations did not help for me academically because I wasn't talking about that. I wasn't talking about my academics. And so, again, GPA starts to drop a little bit. Getting to my senior year of college, <laughs> I'm dealing with trying to figure out things. Um, my fraternity helped me in such a great way because and my fraternity is Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, by the way, which you are, my friend. <laughs> and you were a great help to me, by the way. You and Darren, you all were definitely helpful during that process. And I am forever grateful to you all for that because there was a lot of craziness going on and I really didn't know how to deal with that. And so the following semester that I was supposed to graduate, I had a death in my family. My grandfather had died. And that mentally just took over everything that I had going on. I had no focus. I wasn't driven like I was. As a matter of fact, I missed a month of class. And I was in my capstone at that point. So I was missing a class that I needed in order to graduate. So it was just like, you're missing this class and you're not participating. Like, what the hell is going on? And I talked to my professor about it and he told me, he was just like, listen, I don't think you're going to be able to pass this class. And I was just like, what do I need to make a seat? 
or a B. And he told me, he was just like, you need to come to class, participate heavy, and do good on your papers. Did well enough to make a C, and I graduated <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. July of 15. That year, following that, it was crazy. I was lost. I didn't have any guidance whatsoever. Um, the thought of me going into graduate school was slim. I was afraid to take a chance. Mm. And I started communicating with one of my friends. Her name was Kiosha. And Kiosha, she was enrolled at the University of West Alabama. And she was working to get her master's in counseling psychology. And in our conversations that we had, it was just like, man, I can do that too. You know, I can do that too. I, I feel like I'm wasting my time. I need to go ahead and get enrolled. Got enrolled class in March of 2017 while I was on vacation in Florida. Getting getting turned up, having a good time. So I'm I'm trying to focus in on papers at the same time while turning up. And from that point on, it was I was on rolling and I had a good time in my classes. It was online, but at the same time I was engaged. I felt like there was a purpose in that. Because at that time, I was working 12 hours a night um, at a mental health facility. And that was crazy. That's another story for another time. But that was a crazy time period for me. And once I graduated in 18, um, started communicating with you. I had interest in higher ed for some time. But every job that I had applied for, I was rejected. Um, and I really didn't know why. I, I just, I felt like I was burnt out on the applying for the jobs and having not received any interview. So I started to communicate with you. And at that time, you were about to leave. And when you told me about the job opportunity, I was just like, okay, I need to get on it immediately. Yeah. And what's crazy is I had another job lined up at the same time and went for the interview. It was kind of rocky because I didn't feel as confident in myself, but at the same time, I was just like, this job is for me. I know it's for me. And I know that it can start something for me. So um, I didn't get the job initially. I was pissed off about that. Didn't get the job, but I did get another job at a mental health facility in Jackson. And on the day that I went up there to um, get drug tested and turn in my paperwork was the same day that my supervisor from the institution called me and told me that the person that who initially got the job declined on the offer. And she wanted to see whether or not I still wanted it. And, of course, I jumped on that. Right. <laughs> I jumped on it so quick. I was like, when can I start? And she said, whenever you want, you can start now. And I was just like, as a matter of fact, give me time to get prepared for it. And I should be for it by August 1st, 2018. Mm -hmm. And that time I was battling it with my parents. Um, 
my mom and my dad didn't feel as though I had been doing the responsible thing that I should have been doing, um, which is spending money like I was supposed to. Um, I just wasn't as responsible. And I can tell you that I was not as responsible at that time. And so me switching over to being in the Jackson area, it was difficult. Um, I was so used to being around my my family and friends. I just I was caught off guard by it for a little bit, and I became I kind of became a hermit because it was just like my transition was to strictly educate. I didn't want to be seen by my students after hours because I was just like I want to keep that face of being professional as possible. Mm-hmm. I don't want to disappoint them in no way. Right. I don't want them to see me in a different light. I just want to see them, you know, be academically successful and go on by my business. And what I realized in doing that is because what I realized in doing that is I shut down a lot of opportunities that mm-hmm. I shouldn't have. I can't say that. But I did gain a lot of experience to where I'm able to function now professionally. Um, it's a wild journey, man. A wild journey. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's, I feel like it's definitely been a, like a, a beautiful experience, especially when you talk about um, taking that holistic approach to your students around how they um, navigate their academic experience. And it sounds like, you know, you, you and your approach to that is just really a reflection on the things that you've learned because it sounds like to me and you can correct me if I'm wrong but like this holistic approach is at the center is yourself and then you have these three pegs whether it's like academics social life and community and then like this mentorship aspect of it and learning how to work on each one of those three because the academics is you know literally what you're in school for the social part is who you are and having community so that you can lean into it. And then the mentorship is how you build the rapport and plan for the future. Cause in each one of the stories that you shared with me, you know, you talked about those things where academics, sometimes it was something that you were good at. Social life is what's helped you, what helped you at PRCC, even at USM, like get engaged with that. And having that rapport with your professors, the counselors, whoever that may be, is what helped you either start the journey or finish it so that you can get to the next level. That's right. That's that's right. Um, I definitely did not realize that um, <laughs> my first year as <laughs> yeah. um, an academic success coach, it was just like, okay, I know I'm helping them in some way, but it's crazy. I didn't realize anything until I was even. Um, all of the students that I connected with at that time, they really poured into me. Yeah. Um, I've kept I've kept in contact with them so much so. Um, a lot of them, they've requested recommendations to get into graduate school and to. Uh, um, going to Brown, I was shocked. I was just thinking to myself, like, these students, they are so smart. And to see the fruits of their labor, I'm like, 
even to today, like I have a student and it's, it's crazy. This student came into my office and he was just like, man, you're the only person that I trust here. You know, I can talk to you about anything. And I don't know how this came about, but a student found out that that another coach was about to leave. And she came into my office and she said, you better not be leaving either. I need you until I graduate. Mm -hmm. I was like, what do you mean? She was just like, you're like one of my friends. And of course, professionally, like you're like, oh, no, nah, I'm not your friend. But <laughs> I get where she was coming from. Yeah. I got that she, she, she got support from me. I was able to communicate with her in a way that people weren't. So most definitely, I, I get that now. Yeah. No, totally understand. So, like, now that you're getting your doctorate and, like, um, looking at um, and reflecting on your past, how are you applying the things that you've learned into your doctorate program? Or, like, I guess a better question would be, like, what is your what will your research focus on since you have this experience in mental health and working in academia and even taking your own experiences from it as well? Mm -hmm. Um, well, I want my research to be on <coughs> black men transitioning into their first year of college. So I want to talk about first year experience. I haven't got an, an exact um, topic per se, but I know I wanted to deal with first year experience. Mm -hmm. um, the courses that I'm taking right now um, they're dealing with history. My, my first class that I'm taking is history of higher education. And the second course that I'm taking this semester is um, American two-year colleges. And of course, I had the experience of being a student at a two-year college. So it's different to receive the information that I'm receiving, um, especially like the history of how community colleges started. Like, a lot of people don't know that community colleges have existed for about over 100 years plus. Mm -hmm. And they started out with Joliet Junior College. And it's crazy because I have family members who live in that area and they've gone to the college and like, damn, that's the first junior college ever to exist um, nationally. Mm. So I'm like, okay. And then to learn information as it pertains to Mississippi, um, dealing with the community colleges, learning that they all started as agricultural high schools. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I can see that. Um, learning information in terms of administration roles. Um, in my higher ed course dealing with history, you learn that a lot of these administrators that we have now didn't exist at that time. You either had a president or a minister of a college. Yeah. And that was it. And also to learn that people who were of color, of course, they weren't um, as receptive to receiving education. One, um, they were seen as savages, of course, or they were enslaved. So they didn't receive the adequate education that most rich white men received at the time because women were also excluded from that too. So to learn all this information, it's been quite insightful. Yeah. Um, 
we're able to participate in class and do group discussions and to see other people's ideas on things. The other night, it was it was um, a topic as it... I want to say the topic was dealing with adjunct primary educators at institutions. Pretty much taking away a lot of full-time or... Um, what is the word for it? Damn. Full-time professors, pretty much. Yeah. And you have those people who are in those positions, they're kind of being axed out because universities need more money. Right. And we were discussing, like, what should we do in order to communicate that well with the professors who are full-time and who have been there for a while. And one of the guys that I was in a meeting with, he said... You know, a lot of people get in these programs to, you know, they, they say they want to advocate for the students. They want to be a person that the people touch and they don't realize that administrators are not like that. You're either in or you're out. Mm. I was like, damn, that's kind of fucked up, but <laughs> I understood it. Yeah. Because I've been around it for a while and I get where some people just are there to fulfill the job. They are there for life. But I also realized that, that, that that's not necessarily the best thing because you want to keep the people there. You want to keep the retention rate at a decent level. You don't want to make sure that these people are leaving just to be leaving. Yeah. Um, no, that makes sense. And, and that's what I've been learning so far in my classes. Another thing that I'm learning is that I, and, I, and I support black people to the end. But when it comes down to it, there are other minority groups mm -hmm. that we also should focus in on. Because I didn't really know too much about um, what, what, what is they call undocumented students. Yeah. I didn't have much information about that. And what I learned is some students receive financial aid some students are afraid to communicate with their professors about um, their citizenship because they're in fear of being kicked out of the institution or even being told that they have to leave the country. And I was just like, we don't talk about that enough. Right. We don't talk about that really involve underrepresented students as much. It's kind of like full scope of things. Mm -hmm. We are so don't talk about um, the money that's being brought into the institutions. That's kind of like, you know, pushed to the side because if that's a vocal point, people are going to start asking questions, questions that they might not necessarily want to answer in that moment. And I'm like, damn, I'm actually learning a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been about four weeks now. Yeah. So, ongoing. But one of the things that I'm also learning is you, you as as a person, you already are familiar with critical race theory. Yeah. You already know what that is. You know that they're stripping that away from colleges in Mississippi and other surrounding areas because they don't want it to be taught not only in public schools, but that extends into community colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. Thinking about it, I'm just like, so what do you do about that course that teaches you black history? 
What do you do about that course that teaches you about minority history? What do you do about those things? Yeah. And it's definitely coming to question in those classes, but I mean. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard about this or not, but I was reading an article maybe a couple of weeks ago that was talking about getting rid of affirmative action um, because looking at it from like an equity perspective, you know, um, they were saying like, oh, that's not inclusive, blah, 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 blah. But like, Mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the things that you you you're bringing up right there. There's a lot of minority groups outside of just African-Americans that are truly impacted by a lot of these things like moving out here to the Pacific Northwest, you know, I've heard of Native American populations, but I've only heard about them, you know, the the Choctaw Indian band besides that and what I've seen in like TV shows, but actually meeting like a group of Native Americans, I've never met more than five in a room. And so moving to a place where there's such a larger population and hearing about the disparities that are against them, it makes you think about this fact that it's like, wow, you know, there are more groups outside of yourself um, that are truly impacted by all of these things. And how can we help as many as possible? And, uh, you know, this thing called like affirmative action, I think, you know, is going to be a very huge topic, especially when it comes back up in the Supreme Court and the debates that are going to go around that. I'm really interested in seeing how that plays a role in everything. Yes. And I'm I'm, I'm curious to see um, what politicians are going to do, um, especially in the South. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. A lot of people are just, I don't know. It, of course, it's a different climate that we're in. It's, it's, it grows intense every other year. Mm-hmm. And definitely around this period, because we're, we're coming into this. So definitely going to see what it's doing. Yeah, for sure. So... To kind of bring things back to where we were talking about um, your academic journey and the successes that you've had from there, one thing that I've noticed as far as just your life in in general, you've always had this kind of incremental approach to milestones um, rather than like a single singular approach, you know, and what I mean by that is for some people, they've either been very successful in their career, very successful in their personal life or very successful in something else. Um, But you, I've always noticed that you've had incremental successes amongst all three. And it, it flows well to me listening to your approach on life around like making sure you're taking care of yourself for the academics, the personal community, and then like having that mentorship aspect of it as well. But like, I'm really curious around how you're sharing that kind of methodology to your students around it's okay to have incremental wins or little wins as opposed to shooting for that one big goal. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I always tell my students never to put all your eggs on one basket. Yeah. Um, in terms of their major choices, a lot of my students, they are, and there's nothing wrong to have one vision and one goal. Right. I feel like you can do a lot with that over time. But 
the, the, the type of career that I wanted. I wanted to be able to float in not only education, but deal with it in a mental health standpoint too. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell my students also, be aware that you're going to have moments where you're losing. Um, one of my students that I have, she has a 4.0 GPA, right? Mm-hmm. And her goal is to make all A's, nothing less. Making anything below an A is failing to her. And I used to always tell them, just like, listen, there's going to come a point where you're not going to get what you want. How are you going to be prepared for that? And she was just like, I'm not going to prepare for it because I already know I'm going to receive it. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> in her junior year of college, she received her first seat. And we talked about it and she told me how disappointed she was of herself. But it literally lasted for about two days and then we got back to having a conversation and she was like I finally see what you're saying you're telling me because I used to always tell my students your grade matters your grade matters for sure but at the same time your experience will take you for a lifetime Mm. take the experience in the course and take all of the information that you're receiving it receive it in that class and use it to the best of your ability. Whether it be math, science, English, or history, whatever. Take all of that information that you're receiving. Don't don't lessen your experience in class just because you don't like it. Or just because you're making a grade that you don't like. Yeah. Do what you have to do in class, but at the same time take that experience on as a lesson learned. Hey, I received that information in class. I can tell you, although I made an F in that class, I think it was chemistry. Made an F in chemistry. I'm not utilizing anything from that course, but one thing I did learn from that class is to thoroughly communicate what I'm asking for, um, be as authentic as possible with my peers, Mm. and asking questions. Because, again, I was not the type of person to ask questions. Those are things that I learned in my F. Mm. In my C's and B's that I had in my course, I learned that, hey, it's good to try. Dad used to always tell me, well, this is after he was hard as fuck on me as a kid. (laughs) My dad was a big disciplinarian. And I didn't understand why. (laughs) <laughs> but when I got into college, she told me, he said, as long as you're trying your best and executing what you're needing to do in your course, I'm okay with it. But if you're not trying to fulfill all of the obligations that are being asked of you in the classroom, you're not trying to, you know, take on all of the resources being provided to you for free in your classroom, you're not trying. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I always stress to my students. Try. Try your best, but at the same time, make sure that you are exhausting all of your resources as much as possible. I 
think that's a beautiful thing, man. I, uh, I can, I can definitely see how like in other aspects of my life and like things that I can think about, just the idea of just trying, just leaning in, um, helps out so much, you know, like even if it doesn't necessarily, you know, you might be trying and still not necessarily getting the success, but someone notices that you're trying and then they decide to help lift you up. And like, even sometimes when you do try your hardest and it just naturally comes to you and things, I think, um, you, you definitely hit the hit nail on the head there. As long as you're trying, you can definitely, you'll make some, some gains or something of that nature. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking out this time to, to speak with me this afternoon. And one thing I want to go through real quickly with you is some lightning questions, and then I'm going to let you get back to your day, man. Okay. Um, so what is your favorite self-care or relaxation activity? Um, one of the things that I like to do is to travel. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Traveling, it helps. Even if it's small distance, I've always, even when I was in college, broke, I would always find sometimes to get in my car and just drive. Um, listening to music is another thing that I do and going to get massages. Love it. Yeah, that's some really good self-care, man. I love that. Um, what is your best book recommendation? Right now, I'm going to tell you about a book that I'm reading and it's great right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's called um, Harlem versus uh, Columbia University. Mm. And I'm, I love black history. I love it. But I never really hear anything about like Harlem as much. You know about the Harlem Renaissance and all that, but at the same time, as far as geographically, I, I never knew that Harlem and Columbia University were around the corner from each other. Mm. And the book really goes into detail about the protest that took place in 1968, um, where you have Columbia students who are going against the administration about the war that was going on. I want to say the Vietnam War. Yeah. And the book alters everything that is being discussed in terms of their protest because not only are people protesting against the war, they're protesting against Colombia because Colombia is making an attempt to take land and property from people who live in Harlem. Mm. And I never knew anything about this because you, you know about the protests that happened during that time. A lot of universities had protests during that time, but I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know that Columbia had intentions or ill will against those people that lived in that area. Yeah. So that's a good read. Um, another read that I enjoy um, is called The Barber of Nature. And it talks about one of the free people who lived in the Natchez, Mississippi area, who was a barber, and he was self-made. He had a lot of money. And this man had so much money that the governor at that time had to receive a loan from him because the state was in debt at the time. Yeah. And I was just like, 
I don't really, you don't hear stories about black people at that time mm-hmm. who were able to be as resilient. And so that's a good read as well. Okay. I definitely check check that one out. The Barber of Natchez, you say? Yes. Okay. And one person you want to thank for your journey thus far? Um, I would, Lord, <laughs> one person. <laughs> one person. Um, I would like to thank my wife for this journey. Um, oh. The last couple of years, I have battled a lot um, personally and she's always rooting for me no matter what um as of right now in my classes sometimes she sits in and listens to me um listen to lecture and she's amazed by some of the stuff that i'm learning and those type of conversations are needed and even then though like like i said personally just just a lifer she's definitely a poor lifer. She is one that I can count on no matter what. That's beautiful, man. Well, thank you again for taking out the time to being on the show, man, and I, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Same to you, my brother. Alright, this has been another episode of Don't Be Coy with Uncle Lou. As always, I'd like to thank this episode's guest for a great conversation as well as thank you, the listener, for joining in. Whether you're a first-time listener or a regular, I always appreciate your support. If you like today's episode and ever want to listen to more, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And to join our community and access future bonus content, be sure to visit dbkpodcast.com.